Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week uh, we're going to talk about Parashat Naso. I should uh, point out that uh, this is the parasha that we'll be reading this coming Shabbat in Israel, uh, but we but that is not the parasha uh, this week outside of Israel. Reason for that is um, Shavuot. Uh, the holiday of Shavuot falls on Friday, and uh, in Israel, there's one day of Shavuot, that is, as it is written in the Torah, which means the day after Shavuot is Shabbat, uh, whereas outside of Israel, there are two days of Shavuot, which means that the uh, Shabbat is the second day of Shavuot. And therefore, uh, Israel will read the next upcoming parasha, which is, as I said, Nassau, uh, whereas uh, outside of Israel, uh, Nassau will not be read until the following Shabbat. And this this difference between Israel and outside of Israel uh, will continue for quite a few weeks. Uh, But uh, when we get to the end of the book of Bambi Debar, everything will uh, sync up uh, again, And we'll talk about that when it is appropriate to do so. Uh, So let's start by talking about Parashat Nassau. Nassau uh, continues the discussion of taking a census of B'nai Israel, specifically, in this case, the uh, census of the tribe of Levi. As the Torah has pointed out, uh, the tribe of Levi has to be counted separately. And so uh, the first part of the parasha is a continuation of the census of Levi, uh, talking about uh, two of the three uh, divisions and their responsibilities. The the first one, uh, Kahat, was talked about at the end of last week's parasha. Uh, The other two divisions of Levi are Gershon and Mirari. Gershon is responsible for transporting the curtains and hangings of the Mishkan, Mirari is responsible for carrying, transporting the boards, bars, and pillars of the uh, of the Mishkan. Uh, then the Torah turns to the subject of the count of uh, all of the tribes, all of the divisions of Levi, uh, starting with Kahat, and their number is 2,750, and then Gershon, whose number is 2,630, and then Merari, whose count is 3,200, and then the total of the tribe of Levi is 8,580. These are the uh, Leviim from the age of 30 and above uh, to the age of 50 uh, who who, uh, actually serve in the Mishkan. It was a separate count, uh, counting them from the age of one month, but this is the count in terms of the uh, Levim that actually do this, the uh, work uh, in and transporting the Mishkan. Second part of the parasha uh, continues the discussion about the uh, camp uh, and says that there is a responsibility to purify, we shall say, uh, the camp by removing from the camp people who are uh, Tame. Uh, and these are in uh, three. Uh, three groups. First are those who have tsara'at, uh, and uh, the rules of tsara'at were discussed back in the, the book of Vayikra, 
the the people who have tsarat have to be completely outside of the camp, outside all three divisions of the camp. Just to review, the camp uh, has the central core, which is where the Mishkan is, called Machane Shechina. Then around the Mishkan is where the tribe of Levi encamps. That's called Machane Leviah. And then the third camp outside of that is where the rest of the tribes of Israel encamp, Machane Yisrael. So uh, someone who has Tzarat is outside of all three camps. Then the Torah says that those who have a discharge called Zav uh, has to be out of two of those camps, the, uh, the Machane Shechina, where the Mishkan is, and the Machane Leviyah, where the Leviyim are, but they can remain within the Machane Yisrael. And then the third group are those who have made contact with the dead, and they remain outside of only one camp, the camp of the Mishkan Machane Shechina. Uh, then the Torah talks about the uh, subject of theft, uh, uh, how to deal with cases of, of theft, such as uh, breach of faith, a person who is, uh, who is guilty of theft uh, has to make a confession and has to return uh, what he's stolen uh, plus a f- uh, what the Torah calls a fifth, but is really uh, 25%, and that's because uh, this fifth is a fifth that uh, is a portion that when added to the total becomes a fifth. That means it's uh, 25% of the original. And the Torah also talks about a guilt offering for this, an asham. I call it a breach of faith. That's because uh, we're talking about a person who has... Um, who has uh, sworn uh, that he is uh, that he is not stolen, but he did. So he has to do these things. Uh, the Torah also talks about dealing with the theft uh, of a convert uh, who dies without heirs. So uh, who do you return it to? Uh, and uh, the Torah says that that is given to the Kohanim. The Torah also mentions uh, some other entitlements of the Kohen, such as the first fruits uh, and uh, and others. Uh, there are others, and they're enumerated elsewhere in the Torah. But we're talking about the responsibilities of the of the Kohen. The next section of the parasha, it's a rather long section, is the laws of the sota. This is a uh, a wife who has uh, behaved inappropriately. She's suspected by her husband how. Uh, what first happens is that the husband formally in the presence of witnesses uh, warns his wife. And then the wife is witnessed going to a secluded place uh, with another man. However, she maintains her innocence of adultery and there is no witnesses to the uh, adultery. Um, so in this case, she uh, brings a special sacrifice and offering uh, of jealousy. It's made from barley. There's no oil or incense. Uh, we take water from the kiol, the laver, uh, which contained uh, water that the kohanim would wash their hands and feet. This water is placed in an earthenware vessel. We also take dust from the floor of the mishkan, and uh, the wife is shamed. She's warned several times. Uh, if she admits her um, her guilt, then uh, we would take a different procedure, then the marriage would just end in divorce. Um, however, um, we do a number of things to uh, to get her to to confess, um, such as undoing her hair, uh, and the, uh, the Torah uh, 
talks about an oath and a warning that is uh, read to her, all of which is written down uh, on a piece of parchment and then dissolved into the water as well. The sacrifice is offered, and then uh, she drinks this uh, this potion, and it uh, provides a judgment. If she is guilty, she suffers. If she's innocent, then uh, she she survives and actually is able uh, to conceive. And in this way, God proves her her innocence, and her marriage can uh, resume. Um, the next section of the Torah of the parasha, also a large section, uh, is the laws of the nazir. This is a person who has um, uh, who has uh, taken an oath, and it could be a man or a woman, um, of abstention uh, to uh, make his life even holier uh, or more restrictive than uh, everyone else is required to do. And that's in a few areas. One, uh, no wine. Indeed, uh, a nazir is not permitted to partake of any grape byproducts, grapes, raisins, uh, what have you. Uh, secondly, uh, the nazir does not shave or get a haircut at all, uh, and also is not permitted to be uh, defiled to the dead uh, of any sort, even uh, even a parent. Um, throughout the period of the nazirut, uh, the nazirut could last for a long time. Minimum time is, uh, is 30 days. The Torah deals with the case of a Nazir who unintentionally became defiled, became Tameh. Uh, on the seventh day, he must shave. He brings uh, sacrifices of two doves or pigeons. One is a chatat, sin offering. And one is an olah, burnt offering. Also brings a sheep asham, guilt offering. And uh, whatever uh, first days... Uh, do not count. So he has to start the count all over again of the period of time that he committed to be a Nazir. Uh, if the Nazir ends his uh, Nazirut period uh, appropriately, um, then there are certain, uh, there's a certain procedure for the end of the Nazir period. He brings a male lamb as an Ola, a female lamb as, as a Chatat, a sin offering, and also a ram as a Shlamim, as a peace offering. He brings matzot, um, he then is shaved, and uh, he throws the hair, or the hair that uh, has been shorn from him, is thrown into the fire that is cooking the shlamim, um, and uh, the offering is waved, and uh, then, at the end of this period, the nazir may uh, may resume regular uh, regular life. The next section of the Torah uh, is very familiar to us, is the blessings of the Kohanim. The Kohanim have a mitzvah uh, to to bless the people, uh, and uh, this is one of the functions, one of the responsibilities of the Kohanim. Uh, we must say to them uh, what to what to uh, what to say, what the, the blessing is. Uh, it's usually done word by word, and um, of course. The Kohanim say the blessing, but Hashem is the one who uh, who actually blesses them. Uh, a, a kind of a theme that has been running through the parasha up until this point, after the uh, taking of the census of all of the tribes, including Levi and everybody having their uh, responsibilities, is uh, to make the camp a, uh, a functioning entity, uh, not only practically, but also in terms of uh, of holiness and, and purity. And therefore, uh, the Torah has dealt with 
expelling people who are Tamei from uh, the, the camp, uh, making the camp, uh, that is to say, the community pure uh, in terms of its uh, uh, dealing with uh, theft, anything that is illegal in a monetary sense. Uh, also dealing with uh, sexual improprieties, uh, also to uh, purify the community in that way as well, and to strengthen the uh, the marriage, which is the basis of our community. And then to deal with someone who wants to individually lead an even more restrictive and uh, holier life. So these are various actions uh, that go towards uh, making the, the community uh, better in terms of the values of Torah, uh, honesty, and, uh, and Kiddushah. And therefore, at the end of that section, uh, it's appropriate for the Kohanim uh, to learn how to bless uh, the people of Israel. After this, we have the last section of the parasha, which is also rather long, uh, in which we're told that when the Mishkan was finished being set up, the Nesim, the 12 princes, the heads of the 12 tribes, uh, brought various gifts and offerings uh, for the purpose of the dedication, uh, for the dedication ceremony. Um, first, uh, they offer six wagons and 12 oxen. Uh, the uh, two wagons and four oxen are given to the division of Gershon, uh, because what they carry, the curtains and hangings, take up not nearly as much space as uh, the pillars. Uh, the pillars and the boards and, so, and such, uh, those were the responsibility of Merari. And they receive four wagons and eight oxen, uh, Merari does, for the uh, pillars and the boards. Uh, Kahat uh, receives no wagons because all of the things that they carry, they must carry on their shoulders, not in a wagon. And then the Nesim go on to bring offerings. And one by one, we are told of the offerings brought by uh, the Nesim. It goes on for a period of 12 days. Uh, each Nasi, the head of each tribe, actually gives the very same offering. Uh, a silver bowl, a silver jug, both filled with fine flour and oil, a gold spoon filled with incense, a bull, a ram, and a lamb to be used as an ola, a burnt offering, a goat to be offered as a chatat, sin offering, uh, and then shlamim, uh, a various type, two bulls, five rams, uh, five male goats, and five lambs. And the Torah talks about these offerings in the order of, in which the tribes encamped and traveled. That is Yehuda, Yisachar, Zevulun, Reuven, Shimon, and Gad, Ephraim, Menashe, and Binyamin, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And at the end, the Torah gives the totals of all of the offerings together. Uh, each one of these Nesim, even though uh, he's bringing the identical uh, offering, uh, it still deserves the honor of having his offering uh, ex explicated uh, word for word, detail for detail uh, in the, the Torah. The very, very end of the Torah, uh, we are told that Moshe hears the voice of Hashem that emanates from between the Keruvim, which is above the Kaporet. 
which brings us to the end of Parashat Naso, which is a very long parasha. Actually, it has the uh, largest number of psukim of any single parasha uh, in the Torah. Uh, let's focus on this very, very end of the parasha. When Moshe went into the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, to speak with him, with God, uh, he heard the voice, Midaber Elav. Uh, speaking to him, from upon the the covering, the kaporet is the covering which is over the aron, uh, from between the two kruvim, and he spoke to him. Uh, Rashi gives a very careful analysis of all of uh, the these this verse. First of all, he points out uh, that uh, when it says Moshe, when Moshe uh, came, uh, this. Uh, this uh, verse has to be considered uh, with two other verses uh, in order to uh, make sense. Uh, when you have two verses that seem to contradict each other, there is a third verse that reconciles them. In one place, uh, we are told, the beginning of the book of Vayikra, that Hashem called to Moshe and spoke to him from outside of the tent of meeting. So it sounds like Moshe was standing outside. Uh, another verse, uh, still in the book of Vayikra, says that Hashem says he will speak to Moshe from uh, on top of the uh, the ark, from the kaporet, and that's inside. So where was Moshe, inside or outside? However, our verse comes and reconciles them. What happened was Moshe would enter the tent, and from there he heard the voice which came from above the ark between the two kruvim. Uh, this voice uh, issued from heaven, and it, uh, as it were, came out uh, in the space between the two, these two uh, kruvim. So it wasn't heard in anywhere in between. It was, if we may say, transmitted from the place between the uh, from from the heavens, uh, and was uh, and emanated from between the two kruvim. And it could be heard in the tent of meeting, which is where Moshe was. And it says he heard the voice. Um, now, it was not a very low voice uh, because it was Ha'akol, the voice, uh, which means that it was the same thunderous voice which was heard at uh, Sinai. However, what was spe- uh, another thing that was special about this voice is it could not be heard outside. So it was very, very loud inside the place where Moshe was, uh, but it stopped short uh, of uh, issuing from uh, from inside that area, could not be heard outside. Only Moshe could hear it. Then Moshe makes, uh, Rashi rather, makes a point about the word midaber. Uh, it says midaber, which uh, in uh, grammar is called a hitpael. It's a reflexive verb. And it's as if it says God was, as it were, speaking to himself. Uh that's what I meant by uh, by reflexive. He was speaking to himself, and Moshe could, as it were, overhear God speaking to him uh, to himself. Uh, that was the nature of this uh, this voice and this pro- uh, this prophecy. Uh, but the Torah concludes by saying, "Vayidabere love." That means that this voice was addressed to and could only be heard by uh, Moshe. No one else, not even Aharon, could hear this uh this voice uh and so rashi uh, analyzing this last verse of parashat naso gives us an idea of 
uh, of just uh, how special this voice was uh, from Hashem, a voice which came from Hashem, uh, emanated from between the two uh, Kruvim. Uh, it was God, as it were, speaking to himself. Uh, it was a voice that filled the, uh, the area, uh, but did not issue forth from that area and could be heard by no one else uh, as God was, as it were, speaking to himself. No one else but Moshe uh, could hear it. I thank you very much for uh, joining me in this uh, exploration of Parashat uh, Nassau. Uh, this has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parashat Highlights and Insights saying Shalom. <laughs>